This is the Frey Podcast, brought to you by thefrey.com, a place for women who want more from life. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to today's podcast episode. This is a juicy episode with the incredible Kate Dayton. Kate and I chat about a variety of topics and I'll touch on those shortly, but Before we dive into the interview, I thought I would just have a bit of a catch up with you guys. I feel like there's so much happening right now for me with so many different tabs opened, but all the really exciting things. I've shared some stuff here on the podcast in terms of like an upcoming name change. And of course, now we've got the private podcast as well that goes live on a Wednesday, all sorts of different things happening. And last week I received the final edits from the photo shoot that I had for the new podcast cover. And I'm really excited to show you guys. I'm a little bit nervous. I've been sending the new podcast cover around to girlfriends and being like, are you sure? Like, what do you think? What words come to mind? Do you think this is better? Do you like this font? Um, but it's all really, really exciting stuff. I originally had the artwork for the current podcast cover done during COVID times. Uh, It suited me to not have to get in front of a camera if I'm honest, because I definitely wasn't feeling great. I was definitely wanting to just hide away from the world. And the fray for me was such a uh, anchor during really difficult times. It was something I really lent into creating when I was kind of creating my new self as well. When you go through something hard in life and you feel like you've just dropped all of the life balls, like you've dropped everything on the floor and everything feels like a mess. And there's that time when you just want to lie on the floor with it and wallow in the sadness and you just feel really, really low and sad. And then comes that time when you start to, you know, crawl to your knees and then you stand up and you look down. You look down at all of this stuff, this proverbial stuff that you have dropped, all of the balls that you juggle, and you do have the opportunity when you're starting to feel well and strong again to actually ask yourself, what are the things that I want to pick back up? And for me, creating the fray really, really helped me. And that's why I created the fray. That's why I called it the fray. It was all about, you know, when life comes apart, what are the threads that you can grab onto and weave a new life from? But as time has moved on and I've reflected on the naming, like the name, the branding, all of that sort of stuff, I've realized that maybe if someone is cold to the podcast, if they're brand new and they scroll past the fray and they see an animated drawing, they might not understand the abstract concept, which is not on them, that's on me. Uh, and they might not feel as connected or interested in joining the podcast and giving it a go. 
When I originally launched the podcast, it was under the Kylie Camps podcast. That's what it was called. And I'm really excited to tell you that I have decided to rename the podcast again, and I'm renaming myself as well, my last name. Um, So there will be more, more on that very soon, but I thought I'd just quickly touch on that. It's all very exciting, and I'm looking forward to sharing it with you. What else? I have just had a really great weekend. We're coming into another weekend now, but just had a really nice weekend. We didn't do anything overly exciting. It was very wholesome. We went ice skating. We had baseball, uh, just really low key, but really, really enjoyable. And I feel like my cup is very full, which is actually another recommendation. In our house, we've started asking each other, how full is your cup? You know, and it's really, really cute because the boys will answer and they'll talk about, oh, you know, my cup's half full and we'll say, what could you do to go fill your cup up and, you know, take responsibility for filling your cup up or we use it as a way of letting someone know we're not quite ready to hear something that they have to say, such as if one of the boys is, you know, really popping off about something like, I don't know, Dungeons and Dragons, because that's what he pops off about all the time and, I haven't even had my coffee, like I've barely removed the sleep from my eyes. I'll say to him, my cup's not quite full yet. Give me a chance to wake up, have a literal full cup of coffee, and then I can give you my full best self and my attention. But right now my cup's a bit empty. And it's just kind of become code in our household for like, hey, I need to do something before I can give you my full attention. And it's helpful as well when you're blending families. You know, that language for Brendan, he can say to the boys, I do want to go for a swim with you, but I'm going to go and fill my cup first by having a bike ride or going to training or whatever it could be. So I think that's just a really handy thing you can use around your house if you want to introduce that. Something else that we've been doing is making lists. So lists of like digital lists that Brendan and I share on our phone of experiences that we want to have. You know how sometimes you'll get to the weekend and you think, oh, I'm so cooked. I don't even know what I want to do or what will fill my cup up. If you take the time to create a list before you get to that, so that then when you're mentally a bit exhausted and you're not sure what you want to do, what you feel like doing, You can open your phone and have a look on your list and go, oh, look, ice skating, let's go do that. And it just removes any resistance, but it means that you're still having experiences that you want to have. You can create a list for you and your partner, just for you as an individual, and also a list for you and your family as well, like where the Venn diagram of play crosses over. I've spoken about this so many times, so forgive me if I'm boring you, but if this is the first time you're hearing it, It's really important as a family unit, if you have children, or even if you're an auntie or an uncle, to think about the kids in your life and where is the Venn diagram crossover of the things that you all enjoy doing together. When you're an adult and you have children in your life, there are things that you do that you don't enjoy. You know, like it just, they just are, (laughs) you know, you pay the entry fee into their world by engaging in the things that your kids, your special children are interested in, but it's not always stuff that you enjoy. So for example, I hate board games, hate, 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 hate sitting down and playing a children's board game. But if the kids are interested in it, I will do it as an act of service. But that's not my version of play. My version of play with the boys is jumping under the waves in the ocean It's exploring somewhere new. It's going to the waterfalls. It's going for a bike ride. Like that's the sort of play that lights us all up. 
So making a list of that type of play and engaging in that so that you don't feel depleted all of the time. So those are just a couple of recommendations I wanted to include before I tell you about today's episode. This is an episode I think that if you enjoy, take a screenshot of it and send it to all of your girlfriends or put it on your Instagram story if you don't want to be that personal because they might think, huh, why is she sending me this? But the reason I suggest sharing it is because we cover a variety of topics and these are all listener submitted questions. And one thing I know for sure is if one person is going through something, there are millions of other people going through something very similar or exactly the same. Yes, we are all individuals, but we are all sharing this lived experience. We all go through moments of having comparison when we look at social media and we think, fuck, why isn't my life as good as that? Or why isn't my partner as good as that? Kate and I chat about role modeling, healthy relationships, loveless marriages, dating, the key to getting healthy and what healthy even means and so much more. Now, this episode and conversation does include mentions surrounding domestic violence and abusive relationships. If this is going to cause you distress or be triggering for you, maybe skip this episode. And if you need support and guidance, please do reach out to 1-800-RESPECT. You can find that in our show notes as well. So Kate Dayton has been on the podcast before, and she is a trauma-informed coach, hypnotherapist, and has training in brain spotting. Kate specializes in working with women in particular who have been in or are currently in a relationship with a narcissist. Kate is incredible at what she does. It's very niche, but she really does hold space for helping someone who is suffering the trauma of exiting a relationship with someone who has narcissistic personality disorder. Now, Kate also uh, has a narcissistic detox formula program that is going to open back up in June. She sells these out so quickly. If you like what you hear from Kate, jump over to her Instagram, Kate with a K, Dayton, D-E-I-G-H-T-O-N, but the link is literally in our show notes. It makes it very easy to find Kate and join the wait list for her June program today. As I said, it is called the Narcissistic Detox Formula and Kate is just out there doing God's work, truly, truly helping women who have connected with people that are dangerous and who have tried to tear them down. Kate builds them back up. Kate helps empower them. I just can't speak highly enough of her. So let's get into my conversation with Kate Dayton. If you enjoy this episode, do take a moment to rate us, rate and review the podcast. I rarely ask. If you don't enjoy it, don't worry about it. Uh, But if you do leave a five-star review or some kind words, it does help other people be able to find the podcast. And I'm really, really passionate about growing this podcast. And so if you are an original podcast listener, if you have been here for years, please do spend that extra two seconds. It's something I'm trying to do myself. I had this conversation with someone in my DMs just recently. Like I'm such a silent little observer and listener, but I have started leaving reviews on the podcasts I love. Like I left one on the crime analyst just this morning because I was like, you know what? I am so obsessed with this woman. She's so brilliant. So me, if you go over, you'll see my review. (laughs) It's like Kylie J. Camps leaves a review. Uh, But that's something I'm trying to be better at doing 
is acknowledging and thanking and praising the people that I appreciate, even if they are people that I appreciate from a distance, people that I consider role models who I will never, ever meet in real life. Just taking a moment to be like, yes, thank you for showing up. And so if you enjoy this episode, if you like the podcast, please leave a rating, leave a review, uh, slide into my DMs, let me know. The biggest compliment is definitely if you share it on your Instagram stories and tag me, then I can share it on mine as well. All right, team, I'm very excited to share with you all of the changes that we have coming up soon. This is kind of like a little mini change, doing a real life update for an interview rather than recording the intro way back when Kate and I had this chat. So even this is a small step in the right direction, I think. All right, (laughs) no more Kylie, no more rambling. Let's get Kate on. Kate, thank you so much for agreeing to join me for a life advice episode. Thank you so much, Kylie, for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to be talking to you again. So we have some, I guess, scenarios or questions that have been submitted anonymously via people who follow along on Instagram. And we have a very long document filled with these scenarios and questions, but I've just captured a handful that I think could be really, really helpful. And there was quite a bit of crossover. So let's just dive straight into it, I guess. The first one that has come through uh, says, I came from a split family and I don't want my kids to go through that also, but is it worse to stay in a loveless, resentful marriage? Yeah, this is a big one, right? So we often find ourselves staying in a relationship because of the children. This is so common. I hear this all the time in the work that I do, but I'm staying for the sake of the children. Often what I then will say in my community is, well, what are we trying to teach our children? So by staying in these relationships, what are we teaching our children about love about how relationships work. So if it's a volatile, toxic, unhealthy relationship, then what are we teaching our children about how relationships should look? If it's toxic and volatile, probably not a great um, lesson that we're teaching our children a great perspective on what a healthy relationship looks like. Yeah, absolutely. I think we forget sometimes just how much we're shaping what our kids believe to be normal, just just by the way that we are living our life. That's we're setting those parameters of this is normal, this is acceptable. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, if it's volatile, if it's abusive, if it's dangerous, that's very scary. But also, it's very scary, I think, to model a relationship where one person feels like they can't be their full self or where there's not laughter or there's not growth. If you're in a relationship that isn't actually the relationship that you want to be in, it can be really scary to take that leap and go, I'm going to leave. Because I think the fears and concerns that you have in terms of the adversity and impact it has on your children are very valid. Like it's a Mm -hmm. very real thing. But I also remember one of my friends saying to me, that she realized if she didn't leave her marriage, her children would never meet the best version of her. Absolutely. 
this is, I think, the crux of it, Kylie, is it's not only what are we teaching our children about relationships, but what are we teaching our children about their own self-worth and self-esteem? And so if you're in a relationship where it's loveless and you're staying purely for the sake of the children, then you are un- it's virtually impossible to be your authentic true self. And so therefore, even subconsciously, you are disassociating, detaching from your children and being the best mother or father that you can possibly be. And so we know that actually children, whilst divorce separation isn't great, it's not the ideal, it's not not what we sign up for when we go into a marriage. However, children, what they really do want is healthy and emotionally healthy parents. And if you're not able to be that person within a relationship, then you're actually doing a disservice not only to yourself, but also to your children as well. Yeah. And I think if you can take a moment, if everyone listening can take a moment and ask themselves, is the relationship I'm in the sort of relationship I would hope for my children? Because sometimes a way in, I think for a lot of women in particular, but an inroad into accessing whether or not they're fully happy is to frame it through their children's eyes because no parent wants their child to be miserable. No parent wants their child to be in a loveless relationship. So if you wouldn't want it for your kids, why is it acceptable for you? Mm, I love that. I really love that analogy. That is just amazing. If it's if it's not enough for our children, if that would not be acceptable for them, then why are we accepting it? Because the best gift that we can give our children is to be emotionally healthy, able to regulate our own emotions as parents, and to show them what it looks like to be happy and fulfilled as an individual. Because I think we often forget as parents you know, whilst we are selfless and we sacrifice so much for our kids, and that is about being a good parent, we also forget that we are humans as well sometimes. And so we need to model that to our children, that we are humans. We are, you know, entitled to happiness and fulfillment and all those amazing things. And then it just, it just filters on down. You know, if we're happy, content and emotionally healthy, then we often find our children are the same. Yeah, it can be a real gift to them. Mm -hmm. Um, Something that I was just thinking about with this question in particular, Kate, is the way it's framed around the fact that this listener comes from a split family and I don't want my kids to go through that. I wonder if there's a way of reframing that to think, I went, you know, this listener to change her thought pattern, I'm assuming it's a she, and go, yes, I went through an awful separation. It caused me great adversity. I wonder if going through my own separation as an adult could actually be healing because maybe we can do it better. We can do it in a different way. It doesn't have to be a sentence. Like it's not like, oh, yes, your divorce or your separation will be exactly the way that it was your kids or have the exact same impact you know there there might be shared adversities there but maybe in a way it could be healing yeah absolutely and I think you know just in the context of that if you have if you are a child of separation often there is so much guilt and shame then surrounding that that you don't want your own children to go through that so you often put up with maybe a little a lot more because you don't want that same trauma for your children but actually there's a really amazing saying that says that not 
not all, so all trauma is stressful, but not all stress is traumatic. And so reframing that, that because we may have gone through a situation where our parents have divorced and that may have been really traumatic for you, it doesn't mean that that has to be the experience for your children. And so often with children of divorce, what happens is they come out with these self-worthiness wounds sometimes when it when it is a really traumatic experience. I'm not saying it's not stressful, but it doesn't have to be traumatic. There's a difference. And they come out with this trauma of I'm not good enough, I'm worthless, I'm not important because of what they went through with the parents, feeling like, you know, they weren't enough. Maybe there was a reason why mum and dad separated because I wasn't enough. So we can change this for our children. We can make sure that they come away from these divorces and separations with a healthy self-esteem, a healthy sense of self-worth and not blaming themselves for the divorce. So that's the difference. It doesn't have to be traumatic. It can be stressful, but not all stress is trauma. I love that phraseology that, yes, it can be stressful, but it doesn't have to be traumatic. Mm. I think that's important. And as parents, we so often just want our kids to avoid any discomfort, um, in, you know, any discomfort at all. We want to cushion that. We want to take that and make sure that they don't feel it, but that's not serving them. They're here to live their own life and go through their own experience and learn their own lessons. And sometimes those lessons can be a little stressful. Yeah, that's right. And this, you know, we do, we want to avoid our children feeling pain because that makes us feel pain as parents and it's not nice. But we also have to understand that adversity is resilience building as well. But the key is to make sure that doesn't become traumatic for children and how we can do that is by building up their self-esteem and their self-worth and making them understand that things that happen to them is not because of them. That that's the difference there. They realize that these things happen, it's stressful, it's not nice, but it doesn't mean that they're not good enough. Or the you know, mum and dad separated because I'm not enough. And they can really understand that. And that's a real gift that we can give to our children. So helpful. Next up, how do I help a girlfriend who I believe is in an abusive relationship? Big one. <laughs> It's huge, isn't it? Because when we're on the outside, we're not emotionally invested. So we can see things very clearly as opposed to somebody who's in the relationship and is very emotionally invested. And so what we want to do is be able to shake that person almost and say, you know, come on, this is, this is abusive. And then what normally follows with that is then you need to leave. So if your girlfriend, if you're finding that you've got a girlfriend who you can see is in an abusive situation, I would say to you that even if she's not talking about it or admitting that it's abusive, I can guarantee that she actually knows something isn't right. She would know. that I've never come across anybody that's been in an abusive situation that says, oh, I just had no idea that it was abusive. We know that something's off. We might not be able to label it as abusive as just yet, but we know something's not right. Now, with that comes, when we're in an abusive relationship, comes a lot of shame and guilt. And I think we spoke about this before. We often feel shame. We feel guilt that we're in the relationship. She might also be blaming herself for his behaviours as well. That often comes with it. So if you come in all guns blazing, 
with the best of intentions, trying to wake her up to this as being abusive because she's got so much shame and guilt already, she's likely to retreat. So she's likely to then have even more shame and guilt because she'll say to herself, well, aren't I stupid? Because now I know somebody's telling me it's abusive and I can't leave the relationship. So there's more shame and guilt packed on. So the best advice that I've got is educate yourself on what abusive relationships look like. Understand that there's a trauma bond there. And so understand that abusive relationships go through that very distinct cycle. So that's the key. And then the second thing is to come to her with no judgment. So allow a really safe place for her to come and talk to you without judgment, not jumping to the place of you need to leave. Okay. Because that's very scary when you're in an abusive, in an abusive relationship to jump to that place of leaving. And we know that it takes up to seven times often of coming or going or being in that dance of the abusive relationship before you finally leave. So creating a really safe place where she can come to you without any judgment is going to be so healing for her so that when she does eventually want to leave, she knows who she can come to without any judgment. Yes. And there are so many different styles, so many different flavors of abuse from, you know, insidious coercive control right through the whole, the whole range, financial abuse, physical abuse, emotional, it's there, there's so many different ways a person can abuse another person in a intimate domestic relationship. But I think one of the pillars of every form of abuse, I imagine, is isolation and it's control. Mm -hmm. And so if you're to go to someone who you believe is being abused in whatever way you think they are and you are putting pressure on them to leave before they're ready, that could actually make them retreat and disconnect from you and make the abuse worse the more they feel isolated. As Kate, you've said, if they feel like they can't come to you in that safe, non-judgmental way, the bond that they have with their abuser, abuser may even get stronger or they may feel like they don't have any options. Um, and I'm so glad that you mentioned the fact that it can take up to seven times for someone to leave an abusive relationship. It is not a clear-cut thing that so many people think it is. They go, well, why didn't she leave? Mm. You know, and I've done a podcast before with Jess Hill on the importance of not asking why doesn't she leave, but asking why is he hurting her? Absolutely. <laughs> I think, as you've said, offering support in a non-judgmental way and staying connected with them through it all and not taking their experience personally because they might withdraw from you, they might be unreliable, they might not be, you know, very reciprocal in the friendship at times because of what they're going through, but staying connected to them for the long term I think is really helpful. And I guess you just have to make a judgment call sometimes as to whether you can broach the topic, you know, and what sort of relationships that you do have with your friend. You know, if it's a sister, you might be able to bring it up directly because you've got that bond. If it's an acquaintance at work, you might try and bring it up in a kind of roundabout way to check in with them. Mm. Or, you know, like I think you've got to also assess the bond that you have with that person to kind of gauge what's appropriate and what's not. Mm. 
Mm, Absolutely. And I think it's sometimes it's even just enough to say to somebody, how are you feeling? You know, are you happy? And, you know, often we're, we're so full of advice when somebody's in this abusive relationship to pinpoint, you know, well, he does this and he does that and it's not right. But just creating that space where somebody feels safe enough to say, I'm not happy, I'm falling apart, and then you not then following that up with, well, you must leave now. Yeah. That's, the, that's the big thing. When you're in an abusive relationship, you don't want to feel judged. You don't want to feel like you're being pressured to leave. And this is why often victims of abuse don't talk because they feel like if I say something to somebody, they're then the expectation then is that I'm going to have to leave. And they're just not ready for that. And the reason for that in the therapy that I do is, is because when we're being in a traumatic experience, which is what abuse is, it's trauma it gets stuck in our subconscious part of our brain. So this is why we can rationally know somebody is toxic, is not good for us. And, you know, most of the women that I work with in these abusive relationships are very intelligent, very switched on. Our emotional brain is is not our intelligent brain. And so we know rationally they're not they're not good for us. We know we're in an abusive situation, yet we feel really stuck. And that's the key thing that I hear with people that I work with. They feel really stuck. And that's because the subconscious part of the brain is where the trauma gets stuck. And so the therapy that I do often focuses on this, this part of the brain where the trauma gets stuck. So we can start to marry up the subconscious with the conscious rational part. Because these relationships and leaving these relationships it's not rational. (laughs) You know, being involved in these relationships is not a rational experience and it's an emotional subconscious experience. And I think so many women take on the burden. They carry the shame for the experience, Mm. you know, whether it's internalized misogyny coupled with a million other different things, but so many women feel responsible. So there's a lot of shame surrounding it. So yeah, it makes sense that they're, you know, that women are not opening up to everyone or even anyone about these experiences. But as a friend, I think all you can do is to stay connected and open and warm. Mm, Absolutely. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Okay. Changing gears a little bit now for this one. How do I stop comparing my life situation to someone else's? I just feel like my life is falling apart, but everyone else's is so together. Mm. Yeah, this is a big one, isn't it? Because I think social media doesn't help this situation whatsoever. No. <laughs> I, I just, I recorded a podcast the other day. I can't even remember what, what episode it was, but I was saying you have to remember 
Social media is a little window into someone's life and it's the window that they've led you to and stood you in front of and said, here, only look through this one. There are a hundred other windows of my house slash life, but this is the one I want you to look through. Even when we're sharing hard things, Mm -hmm. those things have been chosen to be shared. Mm -hmm. And I think never before in history have we had so much access to looking at other people's lives. It's no wonder, like it's no wonder sometimes we feel like we're falling short because within the space of 10 seconds, you can have a look, you can have a glimpse through a 100 of those windows into other people's lives Mm -hmm. and you can end up feeling like you are falling short. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, people even say to me as a therapist, well, you must have it absolutely together. No, I don't. (laughs) I still have my bad days. You're human. I'm human. Um, I do have tools now that I can use to get me back up a lot quicker, but I still have bad days. Nobody has it together. Absolutely nobody has it together. And I think when we can come to that realization and peace with the fact that nobody has it together. And sometimes the people who appear to have it the most together are the ones that if we dig deep are truly, you know, falling behind or falling, you know, falling apart underneath it all. So the work that that I do really focuses on actually a comparing what I call them inner guardians, okay? These are the parts that show up about ourselves and they're there to try and soothe and protect and distract us away against what's really going on underneath. So comparing ourselves is one of these inner guardians. So get curious about if you're comparing yourself to everybody else out there, what is what is really going on underneath? And often what I find is there is this core wound there of not feeling good enough. And this is why we then compare ourselves to everybody else. So that's what I would, would ask to get curious about. What's there? What is it hiding? I think that's such a brilliant place to start because if you feel that stab of comparison, how would you say comparisonitis? Comparisonitis? I don't know. That (laughs) That sounds good. Yeah, that's a word. Um, When you start to feel that comparison creeping in and you feel like, oh, I'm not measuring up, Mm. it's really interesting to get curious about what does measuring up even mean? What are you projecting onto these people? You know, because it's a mixture, I think. It's a mixture between what people are showing you, but also a mixture, but, you know, it, it also part of that is what you're seeing. You know, like sometimes someone will slide into my DMs with, quite a rude message because I've said something and they've heard it differently Mm -hmm. or I represent something to them that I'm not intentionally trying to represent, but I've triggered them. And I always think it's so fascinating how if we just go below the surface and ask ourselves, what does it mean? What does measuring up mean? What am I perceiving? And as you said, then uncover that wound of what's going on for ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, judgment, like you said, people projecting, I get them too. I get them on social media as well, these messages. And so now as a therapist, because of what I know, I'm able to receive that message in a very different way, as opposed to taking it as a personal attack. I'm able to say, well, if somebody's judging me so harshly, what's going on for them? And it's often these core wounds 
we, we put out these projectors, these inner guardians that come up because we are trying to soothe and protect away from what our real core inner wound is. Yes, you're so right. Because if we are aware of our inner wounds and we're working on them, you know, because there's always work to be done, but if we have self-awareness to the extent that's possible for each individual, you're just not as triggered. Like I can look through social media and go, oh, yes, I'm looking at other people's lives, but I don't feel it takes away anything from mine in that way. And I I think that's because I'm always trying to do the work on myself. I mean, I'm not perfect. Sometimes I'll see something go, yep, unfollow, don't need that in my feed. (laughs) But you're so much more sensitive and so much more prone to feeling like it's a personal attack or like it's got something to do with your life. It's saying something about your life if you haven't gone below that surface level. Yeah, that's right. So when we work, you're you're 100% right, Kylie. When we work on our own wounds and our own self-worth, then we can begin to receive other people's behavior in a very different way. So the behavior doesn't change. We can't change the way other people behave or that people are posting these amazing things on social media and look like they have the most perfect life. We can't change that, but we can change the way that we receive it. And the way that we change that we receive it is by working exactly on our self-worth and our inner wounds. Yes. And so if you feel like you're comparing yourself to someone, I'm kind of just thinking out loud as we go, but asking yourself, what is that gap? You know, like what is the actual gap that you perceive? Write it down. Is it that you feel like you're falling short because Maybe you haven't had children yet, or maybe you're not as far along in your career. And then just stare at it on the piece of paper and go a bit deeper. What does that mean to you? Does it cause you upset? Because growing up, it was a really big thing in your family to have kids or to reach certain milestones. Like just be curious about what the gap is Mm. that you're perceiving between you and someone else. Mm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I say it all the time in my community, get curious you know, just get curious, sit with our feelings, write it down. Exactly what you said. Writing things down is is really therapeutic to sit with our feelings and get curious about why we are feeling the way that we're feeling and getting a little bit deeper than just those surface level. I'm comparing myself to others. Yeah. What does that mean? Write it down. What does it mean to compare? What does it mean to have, you know, a good life? What does it mean if I haven't met those milestones that I expected to? And often you find that it, when you start to dig deep, it, it does come back to that core inner wound of, of not feeling good enough or measuring up. Even just the awareness, like the, the awareness that that's what you're doing is such a great gift. And when you just said out loud then, Kate, I'm comparing myself to someone else, it reminded me of, um, I'm, I'm sure it's in BJ Fogg's book about habits. He talks about the importance in the Japanese train system, bear with me, but in the Japanese train system, the importance that these conductors and team members place on calling things out, saying things out loud and the way that it can actually be a real circuit breaker to put you where you are. And I'll do this if I'm noticing that I'm wasting my time scrolling. I'll say out loud, I'm wasting my time. And it's like a redirection. So maybe when you catch yourself having that thought saying, I'm comparing myself to someone else. And that's like your little circuit breaker to go, oh, shit, I need yeah. to redirect redirect my attention. Yeah. Um, oh, just hit my microphone. I'm looking at someone else's life, but 
I'm comparing myself. So I'm going to redirect. What can I do for me? Do I need to read a book? Do I need to make a, you know, call a friend, paint my nails, like literally do anything else and continue down that slippery slope of looking through someone's Instagram window and thinking that you're missing out. Yeah, absolutely. It can be as simple as that, calling yourself out on it. We can't heal or change behaviors that we don't acknowledge. So that's, you know, perfect advice. If we acknowledge it and say, I am comparing myself to others and, you know, click the switch and find a distraction, that can often be enough to redirect and take you away from from doing that behavior. So, yeah, I love that. Okay. Help me get healthy. I'm feeling so blur and I'm not sure where to start. Yeah. Oh, look, you know, this health, health is, is so multifaceted, isn't it? So it's, it's mind, body, spirit. I'm a big believer of that. And I believe that the mind and the spirit has to be aligned first before we can get healthy in a physical sense. So again, like I probably will keep talking about these inner guardians, but I think they're so crucial and they're so paramount because they really do drive so much of our healing. And often there's so much guilt around getting healthy in the physical sense. So, you know, it doesn't have to be someone that's been in an abusive situation or or a bad situation, but there's, there's often just this fundamental guilt and shame around eating too much or putting on weight but it's the mind. If we don't have the mind in check first, the physical side of things just won't work because you'll be constantly sabotaging, even unconsciously, your physical results. Yeah. So I think the key for getting healthy is really to start to get, like we spoke about, curious, start to get deep. What What is it that's holding you back mentally from getting healthy what is you know if there's some self-sabotaging behavior that's going on what is that what does it look like is it because you don't feel that you're good enough you're worthy enough to be healthy um what is it that's underpinning and driving that behavior to not eat healthy exercise whatever it is for you Yes, that's such great advice. I also wonder about defining what is blur to you. You know, mm. when I, I go blur, you just feel a bit, to me, it's like flat, a bit yucky, not motivated, but literally sitting down and, and writing down, what does blur mean to me? Does it mean I'm exhausted every day? Does it mean I have little enjoyment in movement does it mean I feel gross after after I eat certain foods like what does it actually mean for you and then the flip side of that what does healthy mean for you Mm. and as Kate said being curious what is healthy to you because healthy is such a massive umbrella term but if you do get curious and start to break it down and go huh healthy for me actually means like I'll just give my personal definition to me, healthy is vitality. Mm. So it's not about a certain weight. It's not about a certain diet. It's not about restriction. I have lived that life. I am done with it. 
and in my mid-30s, health to me is vitality. And so the things that go towards that include having seasons of my life where it's more about resting. It includes eating out and enjoying food. It includes for me being able to enjoy an alcoholic drink without worrying about what that's doing to my body because it's just my definition of vitality. And so I would encourage this listener to get clear, what is your definition of healthy? Where do you feel that you're at now? And what are the actual things that you would put, like what are the steps that you would put in place to take you from where you are currently to where you want to be? And can you make those steps micro habits? Mm -hmm. Like rather than going, oh, I'm going to run a marathon. I'm going to join a gym. I'm going to wake up at 5 a.m. every day. I'm going to drink four liters of water. I'm like very micro, micro Mm. habits, like 1% better each day will make a massive, massive difference over the space of six months, 12 months. So yeah, I would define what's blur, what's healthy, and how can you create little micro realistic habits so that you don't get into that cycle of all or nothing thinking and mentality. Yeah, and I think that's that's fabulous advice, Kylie, because if we, you know, create these goals that are just too big, it's too much for our brain and our nervous system and actually we can then self-sabotage it. So it's about having these small goals that we can put in place that are realistic so that we can meet them every day and then we find that when we meet one little goal, then we can add on to that and then eventually meet the end goal. The other thing that I will mention as, you know, I know your audience is is mainly women, is often women as women, we often say, oh, I feel blue, I feel yuck, I feel exhausted, my health is just not great. I always recommend, especially to my clients, to make sure that they are getting things checked, you know, get your levels checked, get a blood test, make sure your, yes. your iron levels are where they should be. Also, making sure that other minerals, so things like zinc, copper, um, there's quite a few. Magnesium. Magnesium. So you can find health practitioners that will test for those as well. I always highly recommend that, getting your hormones checked as well. Because if those levels are out, it doesn't matter what you're going to be doing in terms of eating healthy, exercising, you are going to feel pretty blur. So get that checked as well. As a woman, I second second that notion because to me, an iron infusion is like a personality infusion. (laughs) Yeah. When I'm like, because I get so, so low on iron and my body won't absorb the supplements. So I have that iron infusion and makes the world of difference to me. So definitely a great point. Um, Okay. I know that this one is well and truly in your lane, Kate. So I'll let you take the wheel on this one. Narcissistic ex who doesn't make any effort to see kids he has discarded. Do I push it and make him see them when I have concerns in regards to his state or let the silence continue and their dad is just gone from their lives? Mm. And, you know, this is really awful when we find ourselves in this situation. So with narcissists, we tend to find that they are either highly involved and very much um, intrusive and trying to micromanage everything we do, or we tend to find the opposite end of the spectrum where they are just not involved 
And it's so painful as a parent because we don't want our child to have this experience. We don't want them to to basically know that their other parent is unhealthy and, and has discarded them. My advice is always you can't force. We can't change anybody, let alone a narcissist, you know, we can't change anyone, but narcissists are just on another level. We absolutely cannot change them. So it's about coming to that peace for ourselves and accepting that the situation is what it is, as hard as, as it is, and very much not what you wanted for your children. Healing yourself, that's going to be the big key healing yourself so that you can be as emotionally healthy and regulated as you can possibly be. Because then what you're able to then give your children, like we spoke about before, is this healthy sense of self, this healthy self-esteem and this resilience, because you can't change a situation. You can't change the fact that mum or dad has discarded them, as awful as that is, but you can change the way that they receive that message. And for them to understand that it's nothing to do with them. It's nothing with them being not worthy enough or not good enough and understanding eventually that it's mum or dad's responsibility or lack of responsibility that has put them in this situation. So that's, I really recommend definitely not forcing it because what you'll find is if the narcissistic parent doesn't want to be involved and you do force it, through whether that's a court order or just through you being persistent, um, they'll be very resentful, the narcissistic parent, and they're likely to be quite abusive to the children. So that's not an ideal situation at all. It's so hard. Like Mm. it's so hard to be in that position where you feel like you're continually scaffolding a narcissistic parent and you're um, like – softening it for your children I think so many women get into that position where it's like oh they can see what's happening they know that it's going to hurt their kids so they find themselves being like the airbag and taking responsibility and making excuses for behavior but often you just get to a point where you're like I just can't anymore like you know I can't say oh something came up or you know, maybe his phone's out of battery or whatever it is. Like you get to a point where you just do have to, in an age appropriate way, let your kids experience the honest experience that's unfolding. Yeah. Yeah. That's hard. It's so hard and nobody can say that it's not, it's, it's hard and it's agonizing as a parent because we don't want our children to feel that pain, but we can, soften the blow in the way that they receive that pain. And the key there is that, like we said, not all trauma, well, not all stress has to be trauma. And that's the key. The way that they receive that is really crucial in making sure that they really understand that it's not about them. It's not that they're not good enough that mum or dad are, are behaving in this way. Yeah. So does that mean it's it's the way that you so you might still let the kids know honestly as in I guess what I'm asking is do you encourage women to stop making excuses for their partners but to try their best to help kids to see that it's a them problem like it's a parent problem it's not a child problem. Is that 
Is that what? Yeah. It's such a hard one, isn't it? It's really hard because, again, everything's age appropriate. So we're not going to come out and say, look, dad's a narcissist or mum's a narcissist. I mean, too much, right, for a child, depending on what age they are. But we can ask questions. You know, if dad hasn't shown up or they haven't called them, we can say to the child, well, how does that make you feel? Okay. Yeah. So encourage them to get in touch with it. Yeah. Get get them to process because often we want to jump in as a parent and we want to take away the pain. And and to do that, we often, you know, mask, we overcompensate, we make excuses for the other parent. But just getting a child to sit in how they're feeling, which is hard as a parent, it's hard for us to hear, well, that really hurts. But allowing them to do that is very therapeutic for a child. And from those conversations, depending on what comes up with the child, then we can tailor it to, well, you know, I know that must really hurt when dad doesn't show up or dad hasn't called you. I really, I hear you. I understand. We're not, we're not trying to mask. We're not trying to put a bandaid on it. We're allowing the child to feel what they need to feel. And when they say that, we can say, yes. I understand. I empathize with you, but I want you to know it's not because of you. Daddy didn't show up because you're not good enough or whatever, whatever comes up in that conversation, but allowing them to feel it and process their own emotions without jumping in. Because I think the jumping in can cause problems in terms of kids know. Mm. Kids know, kids know when mom or dad are jumping in, trying to save the day with uh, some sort of false narrative about, oh, maybe the phone went flat or maybe they're busy or da 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 I think kids do know and then they walk away and perhaps go into their bedroom and internalise it. So actually sitting with them is it's uncomfortable. It sucks mm-hmm. as a parent to do that, but it's so much healthier to do that with your child. And also as parents we have to remember not to rob our kids of those growth opportunities, those learning opportunities that absolutely break your heart as a parent. You know, they destroy you as a parent. But as you said, Kate, like it's actually therapeutic for kids to feel how they're feeling and they're going to feel it anyway. Yeah. But if we can facilitate it and stick with them through it, how amazing. Absolutely. Like you said, Kylie, they're going to feel it anyway. And so we don't want to find ourselves in a situation when we're, we're almost gaslighting our children. So they are feeling what they're feeling and we, we need to create a safe space for them to feel what they feel and not gaslight them. And I don't think any parent does that intentionally, but we do it to try and protect them. Oh, dad didn't call because of, and children. Have, and ourselves, to we, protect we get, ourselves. Absolutely, absolutely. So we just need to make sure that we're not gaslighting our children. We're allowing them to feel what they need to feel. We've got time for one more. So let's go with dating apps. Dating apps are just the pits. Are people really so detached from what a healthy interaction should be? single for two and a half years, and I'm completely losing hope of ever finding a person to do life with again. Oh, dating apps. Yeah, it's a whole new world, isn't it? I mean, I found myself in that world so different to when I was in my 20s, and we actually met people in real life. Like, it's just, it's crazy. Big time. I remember going out with some girlfriends 
And this was, you know, after being single for maybe a year or so. And my girlfriends, were, they saw someone quite attractive at the bar and they were like, quick, let's see if he's on Tinder or Hinge. I'm like, he's right there. <laughs> like we could walk over and talk to him. And that's how it was done when I was in my like late teens and early 20s. You'd go out and you'd just meet people. Yeah. And I really noticed when I would go out in my 30s and you know, there are obviously different things at play. Maybe being older, people assume you're in a relationship or, you know, whatever. But I think so much of dating culture changed because of the dating apps. And it just wasn't, you just weren't meeting people going out because everyone has a million options in their pockets. And it's, you know, a case of so many options with such little vulnerability. You know, you don't have to be very brave to swipe on someone or to like someone's photo because it's so low risk compared to meeting people in real life where, you know, your ego might take a bit of a hit or you might get it wrong or you might have an awkward exchange. You know, people have that safety in their dating apps. Yeah, that's exactly right. So it's almost it does create this shallow kind of community in the online dating world and it makes it really difficult. So we it's almost like we have to create a really thick skin if we go into the online dating world. As harsh as that sounds, that is the reality. So it's all about how we're going to receive people's behavior in the online dating world. So there's this whole, you know, there's ghosting, I think there's orbiting, there's all these things that happen in this online space now, which is all new to me as well. But understanding that because it is it is so easy, you know, there's so many choices now, it is so easy to be able to just move on to the next person. We do need to create a bit of a thick skin and understand that people's behaviour, it doesn't mean it's no reflection of you. It doesn't mean that, that you're not enough or you're not lovable because somebody has ghosted you or orbited you. It is, it is unfortunately the world that we do live in now. I always say to clients who go into the online space is that one, you need to get that thick skin and two is get really clear on what you want, what you're looking for because um, because of the space that it is. And sometimes because people don't want to be vulnerable and then often what happens is you're, the, you're then not vulnerable as well. So it's kind of like who's going to break the ice first. So if you're going to go into the online space, I think you need to be prepared to be vulnerable a little bit and have your checklist of who you want to meet. Have your checklist of things that you want to ask because, you know, it can be like a screening process. And if someone's not meeting the bar, then, yeah, you know, you can move on to the next person. But the right person, if you're being vulnerable – the right person for you will will stay and will converse with you and the connection will be made. But I think if you're going to go there, two, one, one of two things, vulnerable, two, you do need to have a bit of a thick skin, which kind of they kind of go against each other a little bit. Um, but, yeah, it's it's a strange place. It really is. Definitely. And I think those two, that duality of vulnerability, but a thick skin, like you've just hit the nail on the head. If you're going to go into the dating app arena, those two things are so important. I always say as well, go for the story. When it comes to dating, don't go with the idea that you're going to meet someone who is going to be your person and that you're going to walk away from a date knowing that. Go with the mindset of I'm going for the story. 
Mm-hmm. You know, nothing truly terrible will happen given that the person is who they say they are and you're meeting <laughs> in a public place and you've got your wits about you. You know, hopefully, hopefully for everyone listening, the worst case scenario is that you feel like it wasn't a very fulfilling date. Hopefully that's the worst case. But go for the story. Go with the the mindset of I want to meet someone who I am going to say to myself, I like you, show me more. You know, you don't have to be going for someone who's like, oh, that's definitely my person. But just at the end of a date, do I like that person? Do I want them to show me more? Um, You also don't need to use dating apps if you don't want to. If they feel so foreign to you, lean more into dating in the wild, you know, like going out, actually going to different events that you don't normally go to, try a different coffee shop, look up, look people in the eye. Don't be afraid to smile. Don't be afraid to ask your friends. Do they know anyone who is single in your age bracket that they've not thought to maybe connect you to? I think broadening, you know, widening your social circle in real life is a great option because dating apps can feel very, um, very cold at times. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And I think really we, we should view them as more of a screening app. So we, you know, it's just about, yeah, I'm going to, am I going to go on a date with somebody from this app? And then I make my judgment call because it is really difficult to make a call off somebody based on the dating app where we all know we're all playing our cards very close to our chest on the dating app. So seeing it for what it is, I think is really valuable. Yeah. And just two other things that I would add to that, because it says completely losing hope of ever finding that person to do life with again. One, I would consider flooding yourself with stories that are similar to your situation. You know, read about women that are in your age bracket that have found love that, you know, have a story to tell you. Go and read books by Trent Dalton on love stories. Read, you know, read different things that open your mind and keep you feeling hopeful because there's always like there's always hope to meet someone right up until we're no longer here and there will be no doubt someone who is in a similar situation to you who has met someone and who is in love so just keep your eyes open and your ears open for those stories Mm -hmm. because it's very tempting to listen to all of the negative stories and get on the bandwagon of dating's hard and there's no good people around and did it did it but the other thing I would encourage you to do and this is only because this is what I had to realize you know I had to realize I had to stop waiting for someone to do life with and just start doing life with myself because I'm the one that I'm going to be in a relationship with forever and so I had to realize huh I've got to go on little holidays with the kids. I've got to have fun with the kids. I've got to go on dates. I've got to look after myself in the way that I would like take myself on dates. I mean, but like look after myself in the way that I would if I was getting ready to go on a romantic date. Like you do have someone to do life with. It's you and putting a focus on the lack of someone to do life with might just create more lack. Whereas if you put the focus on the abundance connection, friends, family, whatever you have at your disposal, you're going to attract more of that just because you're going to vibrate at that frequency. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, 
You're right. I think often we feel like a relationship is there to complete us and we can't move forward or do life or be happy when we don't have that person. But like you said, getting really comfortable, and it's something I certainly have had to do over the years as well, get comfortable with the thought of being alone. And that can be a really dark place to go to, right? Initially, oh my gosh, I'm alone. What? But it's also a very freeing place when we when we can make peace with that and find joy and happiness in being alone and being with ourselves because we really get to know who we are as a person and what fulfills us in life. And then often what happens is somebody comes along and completes that. So they're not filling a hole. They just they're, they're complementing what we've already created, this amazing life for ourselves. Yes. And you're a full person who's going to call in another full person. Mm. It's, not two, it's not two halves meeting. And I think it's so interesting that you said that, Kate, because that was something I was like having a personal reckoning with at the very start of the year, the end of last year was, well, maybe I won't meet someone and what will life look like in that case? You know, and it did feel a bit lonely and I had a lot, a lot to unpack in terms of, again, internalized misogyny of thinking I'm worth more if I have a male partner and all these things, but realizing what would life be like if I don't repartner and why am I waiting? Like, why am I waiting for someone to start living the life that I want or planning the things that I want? And I swear, like I swear a couple of months after having that reckoning and that realization and really nurturing myself with plans, you know, looking at what would it be like to be on my own overseas? What would it be like to take the kids overseas on my own? What can we do? When can we do it? That's when I was, I actually met someone and Mm -hmm. yes, I'm in a relationship now, but I don't think I would have called in this relationship if I was still in a place of like that lack mentality. Yeah. Yeah. And this is often when we are in that lack mentality that we can sometimes attract the wrong people to fill that void that we have. But when we know ourselves really well and we've been able to sit with ourselves in those places of being alone, um, you know, and I don't see it being alone as in a negative connotation anymore, but when we're able to do that, then we're attracting the right people into our lives. Absolutely. Yeah. Kate, you and I could just talk and talk and talk. I know. But I know that you have a child home from school. I have two kids home from school yes. now. The show must go on. We've got. I've got dinner to prep. I've got laundry to bring in. Oh, oh um, me too. <laughs> it just never ends. Where can our listeners connect with you and where can they find out more about the amazing work that you do for people who are really looking at doing their own work and recovering from being entangled with someone who perhaps has narcissistic personality disorder? Yeah. So the best way to connect with me, Kylie, is on my Instagram page. So that's at Kate AJ Dayton. And that's the best place to find me. Perfect. I will put all of those details in our show notes. But again, Kate, thank you so much. And For our listeners, if you're not following Kate yet on social media, jump over, find her. You just always have such useful resources always on your Instagram and I love having you in my feed. So thank you very much. Oh, thank you, Kylie. It's been a pleasure. 
catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started <laughs> 